our prayer for illumination. Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. By the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us of your promises that we might hear your truth and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first reading today is from Psalm, chapter 78, verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell them, we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise up and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks, thanks be to God. Be to God. Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Matthew 25, the first 13 verses. Listen for what the Spirit is speaking today. Jesus said, then the kingdom of God will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Then while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other young women came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Holy God, whose fire of love never goes out, free us from the fear of scarcity that keeps us out of love's own feast. Renew our trust in your abundance, which knows no death and keeps no count. Through Jesus Christ, the oil of gladness. Amen. Over the next three weeks, Jesus 
gives us some of his most difficult parables to understand. And what he is doing in all three of these parables is teaching us how to live when God seems distant. These are not lessons for when life is going as planned. Therefore, what the mystics have called the dark night of the soul. That term, some of you have heard, the dark night of the soul, was created by St. John of the Cross, who learned more about suffering than any person should. John was a Spanish Carmelite priest, and in the late 1500s, he was part of a reform movement within the Catholic Church. But like Jesus had discovered 1,500 years earlier, not every institution wants to be reformed. And so John was imprisoned by his own Carmelite order and tortured publicly for nine months, all because he wanted the church to change, to include that which is essential but transcend to something better. That's the goal, to include and to transcend, but not everyone wants to change. And during John's imprisonment, he wrote some of the most beautiful words that have ever been written about the soul's growth through suffering. He wrote, O night that guided me, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that joined the beloved with lover, lover transformed in the beloved. Since that time, countless others have discovered what John knew, that God uses the darkest nights of our lives to open us to true love. Jesus begins this parable saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. And the moment I hear that, I just immediately think, okay, gotta be part of those wise ones. How do I get to be one of the wise ones? And it's, it's like I've never graduated from middle school. <laughs> There's this part of me, that, how do I get to sit at the, the table with the cool kids and not have to sit with the nerds? I assure you, I always sat with the nerds. <laughs> now, the problem, of course, is that Jesus, throughout his ministry, was constantly undoing this kind of thinking, right? Jesus is constantly pointing out God's presence with the losers, not the winners. So we gotta ask ourselves, is he suddenly reversing course here at the end of his ministry? Well, that, that seems unlikely. And the parable only gets more complicated when we see what distinguishes the wise from the foolish. See, apparently it's the apocalypse preppers who refuse to share with those in need. They're the wise ones. But the foolish ones are the poor saps who have to leave in the middle of the night to purchase more oil and get shut out of the wedding party. And then they knock and the groom says, yeah, I never knew you. And Jesus says, keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And my heart says, yikes. Can I just share honestly with you, this is not my favorite parable. And what a bummer of a wedding. Right? Half the wedding party gets shut out because their friends wouldn't share with them. How is that good news? And then Jesus' end of the parable is utterly cryptic. He says to keep awake, and yet if we heard in the parable, they all fell asleep. 
both the foolish and the wise. The sleeping isn't what kept them out. It was their lack of oil. It was the fact their friends wouldn't share and the fact that the groom wouldn't let them in. How would staying awake have changed any of that isn't clear to me. See, parables are mysterious. They, they are not straightforward. Jesus tells these cryptic stories saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then we're left trying to figure out, like what exactly? Uh, is it like the survival of the fittest and the most prepared? while leaving the unprepared out in the cold? Is that what heaven's like? Surely there must be something else going on in this story. Well, I've got some good news for you. There is. Jesus is preparing us for the fact that God's kingdom is not coming on the timeline that we can expect or hope for. So what are we going to do when God comes later than we expect? And of course, that phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what that means is the world as it should be. Or as we say in the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom comes when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the kingdom of God is when heaven and earth are made one. And the early Christians believed that day would come when Christ returned. And they believed that he was coming soon. Soon and very soon. And Jesus is preparing them for the fact that this, this might take longer than you think. Now, it's fascinating that when Jesus tells us a story about God coming to earth, he compares it to a groom coming for his bride. So according to Jesus, this is what the end of the world is like. Consummating love between the creator and the creature. And I'm guessing that's not the kind of imagery you've had in mind when you think of the apocalypse. A lover coming for his beloved. But that's what Jesus says it'll be like. And that kind of imagery fits perfectly with the God that Jesus reveals to us. Because as John said, God did not send the Son in the world to condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through him. Well, how is the world saved through Christ? It's by receiving the love that God has always had for us. That's it. It really is that simple. The story between God and humanity is not a horror movie, nor is it a war film. It's a love story that ends with a wedding. And like any good love story, there are plenty of obstacles that get in the way between the lovers finding each other, but it all works out in the end. Just maybe not as fast or as easy as we'd like. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. That though the, the nights may be dark and long, love is coming for us, so hold on and trust that it will find us. Notice that the story takes place at night. Often we associate darkness with fear or ignorance or even evil. But there's more to darkness than that. Well, the dark can be scary, and most of us prefer the light. God's best work is done in the dark. It's 
not when things are all sunshine and rainbows that our souls grow and change. It's when we can't see what's in front of us. That's when we learn to live by faith. It's when we come to the end of our rope and realize that love catches us when we fall. And that's why we don't have to be afraid of the dark. For within our greatest suffering, there is an even greater love that will not abandon us and will come and find us. That is the one thing we can be sure of. So what are we to make of these wise and foolish young ladies, bridesmaids? What are we to learn from them? I think we can say, surely Jesus doesn't mean, while you wait for love to come, make sure you only take care of yourself. We know he can't mean that because we know Jesus and he would never teach that. So what does he mean? I can think of two possibilities. The first is that the oil is a symbol for the life of faith and the fact that no one can do it for you, that each of us must make the spiritual journey for ourselves, and that is certainly true. That's one possibility. But I like the second. The second possibility is that the group of women were foolish, not because they ran out of oil. It's because they thought that they'd be rejected without it. What if they ignored their oil-hoarding friends and just stayed put and waited, trusting that the groom would receive them just as they are? See, maybe what makes us foolish is thinking that God will reject us unless we have our life together. Because the truth is, none of us have our life together. And God loves us still the same. That's the kind of gamble that you'd make only if you knew in the depths of your bones that the one who is coming for you is perfect love. And perfect love drives out all fear. So hear the good news. God is love. And love is coming for us. Love is both our origin and our destiny. And while the night has lasted longer than we hoped for, you can bet everything you have that love is coming for you and accepts you just as you are. And that's how you make it through the dark night of the soul. Don't be so foolish as to think that anything you do or have is what makes you worthy, even your faith or lack thereof. You are already worthy. And what about when you fall short and when you act the fool? Well, guess what? God's love is still coming for you. So as best as you can, just stay awake. Stay awake to your life, not out of fear of missing out, but in the trust that love is coming for you. It's already on the way. As John of the Cross sang, Oh, oh night that guided me. Oh night more lovely than the dawn. Oh night that joined beloved with lover. Lover transformed in the beloved.
Yes, the dark night is longer than we expect. So when you fall asleep, which you will, you can rest knowing that God's love will never abandon you or shut you out. Because God knows far better than we do that we are all wise and foolish. And in this story, we can be certain of one thing, that love will come for us in the end. Amen.